and the pot not soda. And now it's time for Brett, Brian, and oh damn, enjoy the show. So they, like I said, they're Jenga blocks, but they're not actually wood. They're not wood. Mm. They're cardboard. Really? Yeah. Cardboard. Somehow, so how does that work? Somehow Jenga saw the craze at all the bars where people have oversized Jenga pieces, and they decided, we need to get in on that market. But Our market. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> Apparently. We need to get in on our market. Uh, but they were like, but people don't actually want pieces of wood. We'll just give them flat pieces of cardboard that they fold into their own pieces. Is that easy that can't no, be it, there's no weight so you can't pull from like the top half okay oh, that makes yeah. sense because yeah. the whole top wants to come with yeah the you. gravity is completely and different on because that you have to fold them together and shit they're not like smooth and sanded down like pieces of wood so if you get like uh, a right. hanger like because mm. like you got a little mm. it's you know it, it's hard working at college guys it's hard <laughs> <laughs> don't we know it <laughs> We uh, literally all know it. Yeah, we, yeah. We've once worked at a college before. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Pop Not Soda, season four, episode what, Brett? Episode two. Yeah. I'm on God. a roll on this one, guys. Got mm. Two for got two so right. far. There we go. Two episodes in a row. <laughs> uh, we have an awesome episode for you tonight. We are joined by a very special guest, crime author and screenwriter, Aaron Philip Clark. Aaron, very thanks for joining have you, Aaron. us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh and not only do we have an interview with Aaron later on the show, but we are covering everything tonight. Everything from um, the latest celebrity conspiracy theories. We're covering the World Rumble, the Super Bowl, and our favorite annual sporting events. We're talking some Tom Cruise and why he keeps doing his own stunts. And the Google Art and Culture app. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I first, think it's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the. A little racist, I feel like. It's not <laughs> just a little racist. <laughs> Has Google ever not been racist? I mean, I mean. I see what it predicts on my history. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that means you're racist, bro. Damn it. Uh, but first, speaking of, speaking of these cardboard Jenga blocks, which is the most ridiculous thing, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please Google it. Nintendo apparently is set to make a freaking billion dollars on cardboard. Oh, baby. A billion dollars on cardboard? That's what I'm thinking. Lavo? Because I feel like all these... Every single kid is going to buy this that has a Switch. Yep. And the Nintendo Switch is already the fastest-selling game console in U.S. history. Yep. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. Beat out everything. That. Damn. That's crazy. So, fuck Sony. Fuck Microsoft. They've been doing it wrong. Fuck Nintendo, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Nintendo. Yeah, I've got my Wii U sitting over there in the corner. Right yeah. Now. yeah. That's already three systems old, your, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So, you know, fastest-selling system, but you released games... At a fucking snail's pace, yep. the slowest in history. So here's a piece of cardboard. Take me a decade for my Metroid <laughs> Prime game. <laughs> so, so what's the deal with this thing? It's it's Lavo, by the way. Metroid Prime, sorry. Or what's the deal with this, Brian? Lavo, uh, Lavo? Labo, Labo. However, you, they're pronouncing it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, essentially, from you know just the short video clips that I've seen, it's cardboard sculptures or like things that you make uh so like for example what i saw was a fishing pole that you're like actually reeling in and like pulling on uh with your nintendo switch like pulling a fish out of the water uh there was a um steering wheel that a kid made that looked pretty cool looked like a mario kart type steering wheel or those like steering wheels they used to make for uh like gamecube i think it was maybe oh, yeah. where you just like plug it in and hold them yep yeah uh, and then you have like the triggers on the back. Uh, there was also a car that was made out of cardboard, uh, in addition to the controller that was cardboard. And then you had like the two uh, small handles of the switch on like either side of it, and that's how you're controlling. The I car. really appreciate you making all the hand motions for this <laughs> non-video podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's how I no, I can remember all the listeners. You you. Just imagine what Brian's doing. Yeah, but this. essentially yeah. what it is. It looks is like I'm jacking <laughs> off to you guys right now. Just imagine that while I'm talking. Brian showed me it. Per it, usual. It, it, it's a cardboard. What it is, I don't know. I mean, in theory, it's it's a cardboard peripheral that you can strap around either your Nintendo Switch console or your Joy controllers or whatever. Well, and with the then, fishing pole, I think that was just like an independent thing. I don't think there's a mm-hmm. controller. No, I think oh. it, one of the controllers, because you know the controllers slide off. So you, it's 
Oh, it's like maybe it, that that's would make sense because that's how you'd reel so, it in, yeah. right? Yeah. That's how okay. you control that. Okay. But it's crazy that they decide. One, I kind of respect Nintendo for letting kids like be creative and construct their own thing. Um, but f- I mean, who like everyone was speculating because they just said they were going to make an announcement. They didn't give any preview to what it was. Nobody uh, people thought it was going to be Metro Prime. It wasn't, um, and it ended up being cardboard add-ons. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, they're dude. Nintendo yeah. is smart at what they do, and I mean, it, it always takes a little bit for us to get it i think on the u.s side of things yeah but you realize that they know what that culture is in the video game culture that really buys these peripherals especially and i mean i all the parents good luck next christmas when you have to put this shit together the night before oh right (laughs) because i feel like you're going to be struggling or like wait for the next day and be like oh it's going to be a fun thing to do christmas morning and like three hours later the kid's crying and this shit doesn't work and god forbid you just want to kill yourself you spill a drink on this thing that's what i was thinking i was like (laughs) you spend three hours on something and dad broke it yeah it's like it just takes that one kid you know to spill his juice yeah Uh, or the dog like sits on it and it's a wrap you know i mean gone forever so (laughs) i i really want to know the price range i don't think that's been released yet for cardboard, it better be fucking low. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. So what I'm thinking is fifty nine ninety nine. That's why they went with cardboard because it is it is inexpensive, and it it entices you to buy all of them for all the games. Yeah, and my yeah. idea is that it's going to be like a chip or something that you put in the cardboard. So these chips that's are probably going to be very very inexpensive or something, and then you just buy a ton of cardboard and you can do whatever you yeah. want with this yeah. cardboard and you program it. There's going to be apps in the Switch interface that really are the programming element behind it and then this is going to be cost effective i think on the front end it's just funny that it's 2018 and the newest thing in video game technology it's cardboard it's cardboard yeah. Yeah. yeah throw it back and right. if nintendo is smart they'll push you know recycled cardboard there we go environmentally friendly yeah there I don't. I don't know how Trump will like that, though. <laughs> recycled out of wii u games <laughs> right yeah <laughs> there we go no, it's, and it's, old consoles. Yeah, close the loop. You know, <laughs> there we are, right there. It's it's all the Wii Fit uh, boxes that were never bought, so they just <laughs> oh. have them. So, uh, but speaking of things that uh, I guess don't last very long, Tom Cruise's health has been terrible on this MI Six set. Holy crap, man! The well, guy- I mean, not really his health. <laughs> like he's just gotten hurt. I don't think the guys uh, have been his sick durability. Yeah. Okay, do you really believe he hasn't been sick? Because that's some bullshit Scientology stuff that he says. Um, no, but <laughs> he just looks like he's never been sick. You know, he's just always so happy and because when you do joyful, meth, you look like that. No, or you when don't. you that's the opposite. Diet. Yeah, <laughs> no, when you make thirty million dollars per movie, you look like that. Yeah. Exactly. So the story is Tom Cruise has always been the guy that insists on doing his own stunts for his movies. And it, it's been that for, I think, 20 years now. He has always insisted on doing that. It wasn't yeah. like Tom Cruise, I mean, like Top Gun era, but it was like movies after that when he became like the big, big Hollywood yeah, guy. Other like than mid running. mid-90s-ish yeah. was when he started he insisting. he runs in every movie. Yeah, insisted that he started doing contractual. this. Contractual. Yep. He also yeah. rides a motorcycle in every movie. Aaron, I'm glad you brought that up because it is contractual. Mm-hmm. And we will get to Not that Jack because Reacher. here is the situation. Really? He drives the. Uh, it was yeah. It was the muscle, the muscle car. Right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, five five dude playing a character who's supposed to be six seven. So here's five, the right. situation: Tom Cruise has been injured twice on the MI6 project. Back in August, ate shit. I think everybody's seen that video. If you he haven't broke seen his it, ankle. like yeah. it's a pretty gnarly accident. I mean, he, you could tell he eats shit on this set or whatever. That's back in August. Returns back to set. Uh, I think last week or something like that, or they're filming again. They're doing. It's only been uh, for a couple weeks. Yeah, they, they've only been back on production for a couple weeks. Does another thing and then, basically, falls out out of a window, um, comes back to set and is on crutches, which brings me to the question: This is written into his contract, and is it worth it? Now? <laughs> like, is it worth it now to have a fifty-five-year-old guy that I mean does these stunts? No, is the insurance is killer. I mean, that's, yeah. like that's the thing, yeah. And that's, that's that has to be written into the contract too. Is the health insurance that comes with potentially an injury on this thing? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the whole thing I was thinking about. And uh, do we watch these movies with for Tom Cruise doing these scenes anymore? I mean, so kind of. Do we had the plane scene with okay. for Mission Impossible? Cool. I would say so. Okay, yeah. definitely um, for Mission Impossible movies. Right. The Edge of Tomorrow stunts. I don't care. Right. But Mission Impossible has its own kind of thing with Tom Cruise. Yeah, because 
Mission Impossible, yeah, a little bit. He yeah. needs that one big stunt. stunt. Right. And That's, that that becomes almost the yeah. set piece for the movie. Because MI4 was the... Um, Climbing Abu Dhabi. Exactly. Um, what was... Th- a three, he did something to... Um, I think it was the rooftop running. He actually, like... It was something in three. Maybe the bridge. Oh, You know, like where bridge. he's getting yeah. blown up and flying across the freeway. Was that yeah. the big stunt? I don't know. Maybe he didn't start doing him until MI4 with the building. No, because didn't did he not do so for the first Mission Impossible the train? He didn't do that. No, oh, I think he did do I the think train. He did do the train. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. It, I think it, it started with the Mission like Impossible. I said, like I, it has been like two decades yeah. of Tom Cruise yeah, doing yeah. this kind of shit. But like, it, it, is it worth it anymore for a studio to go in? I think for the little things, like the these little scenes, you don't need him. To actually do them right, no, yeah. no. jumping across and you know a gap, or you know how he just recently got hurt, just literally falling out of a window. It's like, is that that important to use him specifically? Um, you know, I I think I agree, and I definitely agree with Aaron that the lore of Mission Possible, at least for me personally, is that you're going to see Tom Cruise do some crazy shit. Yes, okay. you know, like hanging off a plane, hanging off a building, running across a train. Um, this movie, I'm just really excited to like actually find out and see what it's going to be because you know he's obviously trying to top all the previous films. Um, so yeah, so I think it is a good idea and it does, I think, draw in um, a lot more people. The fact that he's doing these big stunts, but like the little stuff, you know, you you don't need to risk him doing that shit. No, and the issue comes in too, where like I I think this one was a reshoot of a stunt that was like filmed. A week ago, last week, yeah. So we were all talking about this before the podcast. That is not any film company coming in and saying, "Hey, we need to risk our our prime star to do this stunt again." That is Tom Cruise insisting. Yeah, right. My hair didn't look right. Let's yeah, let's do this again. Something is happening. Yeah, there's only one other actor that I know was this self stunt um, obsessed. Who? Jackie Chan. Oh well, that's different. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so he's when trained. I think, yeah, when I think of that, like, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense for Jackie Chan to go out there and be wild and doing his own stunts, even though he almost killed himself twice. Um, Tom Cruise, I'm like, no, bro. Yeah. No, like, you don't have to. It's okay. But I think we're forgetting Tom Cruise. We're forgetting <laughs> what that really means. This is the yeah. guy who said that his whole preparation for making movies was the equivalent of a soldier training to go to war we had a friend that worked at red arrow studios uh steve that i remember he told the story about meeting with tom or there was tom cruise coming into the studio ben stiller's studio at one point and it was like hey there's a 30 minute meeting nobody say anything to tom cruise he's gonna come in don't distract him and literally he comes in and he just goes all right we got 30 minutes we're talking i got a plane i gotta go over here we don't discuss anything else what is the deal on this business and then it was like holy shit man thunder (laughs) <laughs> it probably was. I think it was. Back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the only thing. I, mean, I think doing these stunts just really must make him feel really tall. <laughs> oh, ouch! Uh, but it's true. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, I can't do these stunts. Like more power to you. But I'm like, when I think of people getting hurt, like a star this big getting hurt doing films, I'm like, the only people I remember is Jackie Chan getting hurt in uh, Rumble in the Bronx, and uh, when he uh, police um, was it. Uh, po- and I mean, we like, police story. Police story when he slid oh, down Jackie the mall. Chan. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which oh, that, that's the that. only yeah, time yeah, where yeah, I've yeah. been like, he he literally did it without all these lights. If you've ever seen this scene, you have to go because it's like the most it's dangerous incredible. stunt done yeah. by a star. He slides down this metal pole um, that's like four stories. He does it the first time successfully. He's like, doesn't look cool enough. Can we rig lights that will fall with that? I can, I'll drag down. And they're like, that's super unsafe. You're going to kill yourself. He's like, you better look cool. So that's exactly what they do is they re-rig these lights all around this pole. And he's not like landing on his feet. He's dropping and then crashing. And that's how he breaks his fall. Yeah. And yeah, he fucking burns himself and let's all have, the way down and cuts himself with glass because these lights just start to pop yeah. and shatter. And let's not forget too, like, I mean, you're bringing up Jackie Chan, which like in historically too, this cinema, like these stunt actors have been in other, like this hasn't been a dying culture no. in any other film like 
location except for American cinema. And it was American cinema from like the mid 70s to like the mid 90s where it was like actors just going, no, that's too risky. I don't do that shit. But before that, too, people were doing crazy shit. Look at Buster Buster Keaton or whatever in the like 30s doing crazy shit, too. So it existed in America, but uh, all of a sudden somebody was going, no, I get paid too much to do that shit. Well, it was also (laughs) studios going like, oh, this guy can't, this guy can't. But and we, we can sacrifice th- your body. Yeah, exactly. And we, yeah. And we got ten movies well, lined up with your deal, so we can't risk this shit. Because yeah, it was the birth of the of the movie star. Yeah. So once you had the movie star, where studios were teaching actors how to speak and how to walk and all those things, and they were selling that actor to the public, you can't risk them jumping off a building. Yep. You know, so things had changed. But to go back to Tom Cruise, you know, we're in the age of the dying movie star. So I think. They have to ask the studio has to ask themselves: Is it worth having him? Does he bring in that much money? Yeah, and I mean realistically too, like, is Tom Cruise that driving outside of movie making? Like, where if he get gets injured, I mean, is it really risking any anything? This just makes me want to see the movie more now. I wonder. I mean, if, it's it, it works towards publicity. I think it, like in, in the nature. I like, do wonder if Universal wished that he got hurt on the Mummy, so they never finished that movie. Good going. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Very, very Maybe. good point. Yeah. My, my, my real question, though, about this whole scenario is if Tom Cruise doesn't get hurt, do we still need to CGI the mustache off of Superman's face? <laughs> no, because the, the, the then it would have been, been done, right? Done. Then it would have been done. So you're saying that Tom Cruise is the whole reason the Justice whole reason. Leads Sut? Okay, yeah. Oh, because Henry Cavill is yeah. in MI6. And he, had the, he yep. was contractually yeah, and he obligated that mustache. He couldn't shave the mustache. No. How long does it take him to grow back a mustache? It took four months for them to come back to production. He couldn't. They, That's a knock it was on Henry in his, Cavill. It was in his contract that yeah. said he couldn't Dude can't shave. Grow, grow a mustache in four months. I, how long does it take you to I grow think a mustache? We need, dude, I can grow a mustache in four months. Are we going to take that test? This may have a Hollywood mustache. <laughs> a Hollywood mustache a Hollywood in four mustache. months? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's we may have to get Allison to sign off on this, but yeah. I'm kind of down. Like Jason Schwartzman, this mustache, or what? What are we talking about? No, no, about no. no. We're talking Henry Cavill mustache. Oh, yeah. Shit. It's pretty thick. It's it a, is, yeah. yeah it's it is pretty big. It's real British. Yeah. So. Real British. I'll have to consult yeah. the wife yet. Guys, I, I will remind you, I'm three months into this marriage, so I can't yeah, yeah. really be pulling this shit right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, just rock a mustache for the next four months. I yeah. mean, what's wrong with that? She said, "For highs and lows, till death do you part." Yeah. Yeah. Better, better, better or worse? Or worse. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you're gonna be a lot worse. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so one other thing I want to talk about before we go to break uh, is one of my favorite times of the year. January, uh, end of January. <laughs> yeah, the end of January. <laughs> Official soup month. Uh, is that what this is? It is. I think it's January, February. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's the coldest month. I guess. Uh, no. So uh, the one Sunday in January that does not have football is always designated for an annual event. Mm-hmm. And that event is what I think is top three annual sporting events wow. every year. That's a bold statement, Dan. Yeah. I'm going there. Yeah. Uh, it's enjoyable. I invite people over. Uh it's it's like a set, it's like it's basically like a a prequel to the Super Bowl for me. You have men in underwear uh, hitting each other. <laughs> Lots of men in underwear in close quarters. Sounds like my perfect Sunday. <laughs> How about you, every Dan? Every time, every time, Brian. Trying to be serious. No, uh, but what I'm talking about is the the, the WWE Royal Rumble this weekend, or it would have happened as you listen to this. It yeah, it's coming up, right? Yeah. Where am I? What's Next today? Yep. I'm lost. It no, yeah, it's it this will Sunday. be. It will be this Sunday. It's this Sunday. Yep. Usually, oh yes, when you're listening on, yeah. to this, it listening is this, this Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's the, only the second episode, so give us a break of this season. But it's been four seasons, so we should really know that by now. But yeah, so uh, upcoming this weekend is not just one Royal Rumble. For the first time ever, they actually have a men's Royal Rumble and a women's Royal Rumble. What? Yeah, they've got thirty females. Thirty female talent. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was participating that in their roster. own Royal Rumble for the first time ever. Wow! Damn. Hey, gender equality, man. Do. Yeah, because for 2017, women's professional wrestling was probably at, I would say, its peak, like its most popular it's been ever. So it made sense for them to keep going with that and giving them the same opportunities that men have had for like 30 years. Yeah, 
And that's something that I would much rather watch 30 women in a ring than 30 men. So, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, yes, Brian. (laughs) But what I'm saying is it's just, it's a fun event because there's, there's, you don't need any investment up, you know, before this event, you don't really even need any investment after it's something that if this is all you wanted to watch of wrestling once a year, you could watch it and enjoy it and have a good time. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the Super Bowl for a lot of people. Right. A lot of people don't have to care about the NFL, especially if they don't have a team or they don't play fantasy, but everybody watches the Super Bowl. Yep. Everybody goes to a Super Bowl party. Yep. Right. But I think it goes beyond the game at this point, right? It's like about the food. Yeah. It's about the commercials. You know, people play like squares and, you know, gambling games gambling. where you don't even need to know, you know, anything about football. You can just participate. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, there's a football game on as well. Yeah. You know? So I would say that the Super Bowl is up there. I would say the Royal Rumble and I would say March Madness. Those are my three annual events. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You know, wow. I would actually agree with you on that one, Dan. I, I I actually agree with you on the Royal Rumble one. On that one, I think the Royal Rumble is one of my Say, top. Keep three saying Royal even. Rumble. Yeah, Royal Rumble. Sorry, that one took a little bit for that one. See, you can't even get it right out of your mouth. Royal, your brain just knows. Royal it's a Rumble. What, what do you got? What do you got? What What is a better annual sporting event? I mean, New Year's Day, hungover, bowl games. Uh, I mean, so just off the top of my season, head, you're gonna take all of bowl season. No, I mean specifically New Year's Day. Okay. Like that's mm. such a great tradition. Every year is I'm generally hungover. <laughs> I'm just laying on the couch, and there's you know great college football on all day. I kind of want to go with that, man. I, I'm yeah. there over yeah. the Royal Rumble. You know, yeah. You know mine. I'll, I'll tell you mine. X Games. <laughs> X Games for me. When was the last I, time you watched an X Games? Really? Uh, when Tony Hawk was still yeah, competing. <laughs> when the X Games were good, where they did the uh, Bob Burnquist the skydiving yeah, snowboard. Yeah, I think Bob Burnquist ran into Sean White like last year. You know, on the half pipe. Oh, just kidding. No. That happened in like 1999. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sean White was like five in 1999. So yeah. come on. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, the X Games used to be cool where they had losing. Like actual oh, sports right. that were like yeah, yeah. they had the the speed rock climbing, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, my favorite event was when they would fucking skydive with the snowboards, and it was a t- team. It was the dude on the snowboard and his camera guy, and it was whoever could do like the most like flips and spins while skydiving, and how good his dude could record him. Yeah, dude, I'll tell you, that was. <laughs> And it's stream, yeah, you like, had to have a camera event. guy. Yeah, you had a camera guy. Yeah, I'll tell you my favorite thing was the one that had – it was like the street bike event. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah, 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 street yeah, yeah. bike Because those R. guys, R. like, Mira. dude, oh, Dave my Mira. God, man. Yeah. They got so high. Ryan Nyquist. And if they – yep. And if they ate it, they yeah. ate it. They ate it bad. A whole lot of nut shots. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, you yeah. know that, uh, like, in, in the mid-2000s, the Edge games, like, basically became base, just motocross. Like every other event was a motocross, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, I think that just because because it draws the biggest crowds, you know. Yeah. It was the evolution you, of yeah, yeah. You got to put it in a stadium. It was cool when they added the rally car racing. That was cool. Oh, that yeah. was pretty yeah. dope. Years. Yeah. Um, but I always missed like uh, what was his name? Like the 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 professor or whatever the 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 luge dude that always won. Like, oh, the street luge guy. The street luge guy. He had like long blonde hair. Yeah, his name he was, was like the tall, doctor or the professor. Yeah, he was or like a skeleton kind yes. of looking dude. Yeah, and. and like, cause Street Luge, where the hell else am I going to watch <laughs> Street Luge? Street <laughs> happened, like, down Qualcomm Way. But that's, but that's a street sport, remember. is what really? I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That went into, I remember, one year it ended in, in Qualcomm Stadium. They took it all the way from the hills up oh, yeah. in Mission Valley. Right. And Which Street made Luge sense. went down. Like, yeah. That last hill, fuck that on a street. If you, if yeah. you, talk about on a bite, but if you're going that quick, that close to the ground. I mean, yeah. Um, oh, man. Balls Grower. That's, Balls grow or especially shrink for, on especially that. For <laughs> us, especially for us that grew up in Southern California because it was here for like 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and I just remember they would always try to do water sports, but the weather would always fuck them. So they, they always had to like cancel them or move it to Mexico. The crazy thing was that, yeah, we, we couldn't get the water sports down, but we could get a snowy hill to do snowboarding. <laughs> I remember right. one year. That <laughs> was like the crazy thing about San Diego. It was like, yeah, we could not get – we could not iron down water sports, but – Let's let's build a mountain. Man, get snow to it. So I I know that this is why the Ed's names are still in business because Brett's the only one watching them. 
Now that we got one viewer left dedicated yeah. every yeah, year. Yeah, DVR on. When are the Ets games, Brett? Don't know. First weekend in, in August, just so you know. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I will stay tuned for that. Is that <laughs> before or after Shark Week? I have no idea when Shark Week is. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's got to be the uh, summer, right? Yeah. If it Maybe wasn't after? a sporting event, that would be my other favorite I mean, they, event. They tried to make it a sporting event with uh, the race between... Uh, oh, Michael Phelps? Yeah. The and quote an imaginary unquote, sharks. Race. Right. Some bullshit, but desperate. yes, that's desperate. So, uh, you know where I will be this Sunday, and that that is uh, at the house with some some friends and some food, and enjoying one of my favorite annual sporting events. Yeah, am I invited? Yeah, you want to come over? Yeah, it'll be I'm ten dollars. There's a <laughs> wow. entry fee at the door. Yeah. That's a month of WWE network exactly. right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got to so pay wait, for. <laughs> how much are they charging? And so. So they don't charge per event anymore. Yeah, it's a Dan, monthly subscription. Dan gets 12 people in there, and he gets a yep. year of it for free. $10 yeah. a month. Bates them in. And you get every single uh, program they put Wow. In. Yeah. And so you're charging 10 bucks at the door, exactly. and that gets people what? Beer, popcorn? Oh, no. It's B-O- BYOB. Oh, wow. Yeah, in yeah. addition to. Jeez, this man. is just for, you know, it's like when you have the pay-per-view fight, like. That's what happens. It usually costs like twenty five bucks to hang out with Dan. So yeah, I think this is this a little is a bit of a discounted, <laughs> I'm a discounted event. I'm in a good mood. It's a weekend deal right here. Exactly. All right. Well, we're gonna come back. Um, I've hoped you enjoyed the first half of that pop culture sits pack because we are coming back with an exclusive interview with Aaron Phil Clark, crime author and screenwriter, and we are gonna talk with him about what it takes to write a crime novel. Uh, maybe some of his favorite crime novels, um, and how easy is it for Brett to write a screenplay? Because that's something Brett really wants to do. Okay. Because uh, it's because it's Brett wants it to be really easy. I do. And uh, we're going to talk celebrity conspiracy theories because there is a juicy one this week, and there's nothing I love more than conspiracy theories. Oh, I got one for you too. Oh, I can't Ooh. wait. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about the Doodle Culture and Art app. That I still think is racist. I still think it's a little racist. <laughs> we'll catch you on the flip side. So no breaks. I'm None, a, you're not no going to go no breaks. No, I'm, I'm, I don't wear stoppers. I can't. Okay, I'm going to go breaks full gear. Yeah. Do you already own a pair of rollerblades? Uh, no, but I'm I'm, to I need to buy some hockey states because I want to get back into playing roller hockey. Okay. So. We've officially made a bet over oh, So you the really break. don't want to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> We've officially made a bet over the break. Dan and I are going to race off at some point during the season on a rollerblade contest. And it is one going to be endurance, like distance wise, and two is going to be speed, right? Yeah, it, it'll yeah. it'll be a race. Yeah, that's usually what they call that. Well, I mean, okay, we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out. I don't later. know if they have just a more demeaning name when it's regarding rollerblades or not. Dude, I'm I'm roller I'm blading, I'm blading, blading. <laughs> I'm blading. <laughs> there was, and that's the shitty thing is that you couldn't call it stating anymore. Yeah, because anytime right. you said stating. People assumed you were skateboarding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The cool thing is, is my man Aaron over here brought up Airborne, which is an incredible movie. That if it's you have one of my favorites, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've talked about it on an episode. Cousin before. Wiley, Seth Probably Green. Have. Oh my God, Jack Black. Did you call me underwear, dude? Uh, I think that was his first movie, right? It may I have think been. that yeah, was probably his first yeah. studio. Yeah. yeah, early '90s. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we got a killer second half episode up. We got Aaron here. We're going to interview him. Philip Clark. Aaron Philip Clark. Aaron, what is up? A- you enjoying the episode so far? I am. I'm having a blast. You guys are are hilarious. You know, Dan has talked about this podcast, and I finally made it on. I'm excited. Dude, we've heard a lot about <laughs> you, man. We've heard a lot about you. So you are. I've a- said nothing about him at all until this week. Well, we've stalked. We've stalked you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> social media is over here. So, no. No, Aaron. Aaron is uh, familiar on the mic, being a co-host to one of his own uh, educational podcasts. He's been in and out of, I want to say, Hollywood, doing a lot, a different, a lot of different jobs, jobs here and there, from driving to DJing, um, to you know, writing screenplays, being the author of some great crime novels, and that's what you know. We thought we'd bring you on the day and, and really talk about what your upcoming projects are. Okay. What it takes to be a crime author. What are some of the best, you know, noir films, in your opinion, oh, that for really sure. kind of yeah. get that way. So my, my first question is what, you know, in, what, what got you to want to write crime novels? Uh, I would say it was Devil in a Blue Dress, Walter Mosley. Mm. So 
uh, that was the first uh, crime novel I actually read. And a lot of people say Raymond Chandler or, you know, Dashiell Hammett. It should be like the the foundation of crime writing, but I actually disagree. Uh, for me, uh, Walter Mosley just captured um, a different aspect of crime writing because he was working with characters who people normally would cast aside. So like Easy Rollins is the main character, and you know he was a, a veteran, and the whole premise was he just wants to keep his house. He's just a everyday dude who takes a job because he needs the money to pay the mortgage and I was just taken with that because I said that's awesome you don't need these huge conspiracies you know to drive a crime novel or these larger than life characters you just need everyday people and really bad situations um, and they have to find a way out of it interesting so do a lot of your books focus on that same theme definitely so my first book uh, the science of Paul uh, essentially focused on that it was similar in the sense that I could say that Easy Rollins could be the grandfather to Paul Little. Okay. Mm. Okay. Because, A familiar character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the protagonist, Paul Little, gets out of prison. It's uh, In the beginning, it's rather unclear why he was in prison. But he's li- living with uh, a girlfriend, and he is just unsettled. Um, and he fixes things around the house because he has nothing to do. Um, she doesn't want him to work. She says, hey, you're not too good with people. So he basically just stays in this um, this apartment in Philadelphia until one day he decides, like, I need to get out. And he sets out um, to make some money because he wants to get back to North Carolina where there's some land waiting on him um, that was left to him. And he sees this land as the almost like the promised land. If he could just get there, he's away from people. He can live the way he wants to live. So there's a lot of existential themes. Yep. And it sends him on this terrible journey <laughs> through the streets of Philadelphia where he encounters all different types of walk, all walks of life, all different types of people from good cops, bad cops, um, low rent gangsters to kingpins. And everybody wants something from him. Okay. And ultimately, Paul has to kind of outsmart these people if he wants to get out of this situation. And he makes mistakes along the way because he's not a detective, but he's put in this position where he has to get to the bottom of who killed this kind of petty gangster. Okay. And- now, when 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 is when Paul is you know doing his work and when you're writing about Paul, do are you driving these you know? Or are these shady characters coming off of any inspiration from the past or anything like that or? Are these original characters, or They're, how are you basing it off of it? I would say that the genesis of every character is somebody who actually exists. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That's always the best inspiration, right? That seems to be a common theme you know. with writers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I pull from people I've encountered. Uh-huh. Um, I think for uh, Paul Little, I was writing a first person. So um, a lot of that was I spent a lot of time with Paul Little as a character and I thought about the type of person he was and I thought okay if you had this guy who's not a bad guy but made a terrible mistake and then I kind of thought about mistakes maybe I made in my life that weren't as serious as his but what happens when you're like oh I regret doing that and if it's a really big regret how does that drive you and how does that change you as a person over time Um, and so a lot of the characters in the book I lived in Philadelphia uh, a brief time when I was going uh, finishing undergrad so I encountered similar people <laughs> that appear <laughs> in that book and one of them was a, a police officer and he uh, for some reason this guy was always posted up on the corner of 15th and Pine that's where we were living um, and one day I was just walking and I stopped I said you know just chatting with him and he was playing uh, Biggie in the squad car um, in the patrol car. And so I was like, oh, juicy, man. And he was like, what do you know about it? So I was like, I just chatted up with him. And so he told me, he was like, I like being a police officer. It's just a job. But at the end of the day, if I knew I could sell drugs and get away with it, I would be a drug dealer tomorrow. Wow. Oh, shit. And I was like, wow, man. And he was like, been on the force for like 13 years. So I said, well, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a character. Yeah. You yeah. know, for sure. 
I mean, a guy who's very forthcoming about the trappings of trying to do the, you know, have the right do thing, the right it, thing yeah. and be a good cop when you're watching all these guys around making tons of money, you know, selling drugs on the corner. Of course, that thought's going to enter your your mind, and you're going to wonder, what if it, I was on the other side of the fence? What would it be like? Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up Philadelphia because I was actually going to ask you about that if you did live there or spend some time there. And I've always wondered about that with writers because so I've been reading like a lot of Stephen King recently. And this one series I'm reading, the Dark Tower series, he talks about New York and New York City. Yeah. And it, it almost feels like it's another character in the book. Right. Um, and he obviously, you know, spent a lot of time there. So when you're writing and, you know, you're you're talking about a location, you're thinking about where to base a story. Is it always places that you have either, you know, lived in or experienced or do you, you know, take a step outside and get into your imagination a little bit? I would say it's 50, 50, um, for me to accurately depict a place. Uh, it works best if I've at least gone there and I've kind of seen it. And the thing with, with memory is it's never exactly how you remember it anyway, (laughs) you know? So you, automatically going to invent some um, of certain aspects. So in the signs of Paul, Philadelphia, it's almost like the the frame was there. And then I just kind of added color, you know, to the city um, and made it a little bit more um, reflexive of how I wished it was maybe. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, Philly has a huge jazz and blues culture. And when I was there, I would go to um, a few of the clubs, but, uh, you know, it was almost dying out. And I f- always felt like I'd missed something. Like, had I been lived, you know, had I lived there 10 years ago, right? it would have been different. So when I was writing The Signs of Paul, I made it so it was more infused with the music. So it's a guy on the corner playing the saxophone, and you you walk down um, certain streets, and there's these plaques that say this is where, you know, this jazz musician played or this is where this person was born or what have you so that the city is really this living uh, museum to jazz um, or really music in general um, art culture and then you also have the you know philadelphia 1776 the idea that you know this is where it all kind of birthed so all these plaques that paul little comes across are these little monuments you know to points in history now you mentioned music multiple times uh, you know, as we've ever, as we've talked to you, when you're writing, what is the music that you're playing? Depends on the book. Okay. It, and it depends on the scene. Okay. So, Interesting. Um, for the science of Paul, it was tons of Solomon Burke, uh, Otis Redding, lots of blues, lots of soul music. Um, even I create a cocktail list, if you will. No way. For, okay. <laughs> for hey, for like the particular uh, scene. Uh, I'm working on and and for the science of Paul uh, it was a lot of uh, whiskey Uh, okay lots of whiskey and red wine and um, jazz music constantly playing you know um, Solomon Berg playing um, you know little bit of of I would say kind of the um, what we call dark jazz uh, which is uh, I think is probably more popular in Europe um, but it's kind of a Kilimanjaro, uh, I believe it's Kilimanjaro Quartet. So they do this kind of dark mo- moody jazz. So it was a lot of that playing. Um, but yeah, music is always kind of in, infused in the writing process, at least for me. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So take me to your, your writing station. Are you, are you always on a laptop? Most of the time I outline paper uh, and okay. pen. I'm old school. So I will have a legal uh, pad and I will outline. Um, and I actually witnessed Tarantino doing this as well. Uh, crazy story. Um, if you're ever in LA, there is Pan's Diner where they shot Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. Okay, the famous Pulp Fiction scene. Um, I've actually been there. You've been there. Yep, I have been there. They have really good chicken yep, and waffles. Allison and I, yeah, <laughs> they have incredible chicken and waffles. They get it done. Yep, yep. It's the long corridor. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. That's it. Yep. So, but across the street is a Starbucks. <laughs> and we went into the Starbucks, and it was me and a few people from my uh, grad school program. We go in, and we're like, oh, we'll get some coffee because we're going to have class at Pans, but the coffee there, 
you know, it's not the greatest. So we wanted something with a little more punch. So we're ordering specialty drinks, what have you. And we look to the back of this Starbucks, and it's no other than Quentin Tarantino. Wow. He had no computer. He had one yellow legal pad and one white one. And what he was doing as we approached is on the legal pad, uh, the yellow one, he would outline, and then he would give uh, scene headings. And then on the white one was just dialogue, just wow. riffing, going off. Yeah. And it was like in tons of coffee. He had like three, four cups on the table and he was cool. Like he would fend off, you know, talk to a fan a little bit and kind of fend them off and maybe they want a picture or whatever. And he would say no, but he would sign something and then they would go away and he'd go right back to what he was doing. But it, it was like watching, you know, I had never seen someone write that fast and make it look cool it was like he was conducting an orchestra yeah <laughs> with his pencil <laughs> a, a, a painter of dialogue that's what right? it was yeah. and i was like that's really cool so after i saw that i was like you know what i'm gonna buy a bunch of yellow so many legal pads, <laughs> legal pads you know <laughs> now one thing i, I gotta ask you too because that's one thing i've i've struggled with dan mentioned it too is screenwriting is something that i'm very interested it is very hard to make dialogue dynamic and to make it real and to sound real. And I think now when I hear the story about Quentin Tarantino, is it something that it does it help when you immerse yourself in a setting and then you just, you know, involve yourself around just various characters like a Philadelphia setting? Or how do you come up with various dialogues for the for these characters? Well, it's tricky. And I think people have to have an ear for dialogue. I think some people have it and some people struggle with it and have to kind of work through it and they should write with a partner or have someone kind of punch it up a little bit. Um, but if you have an ear for it, it means that you pay attention very closely to the diction and the rhythms and the tone of way people speak because it's so telling. Um, I've always been kind of good with accents. So I used to be able to be able to guess where people came from. And some people would say, I would say, Oh, did you live in South Carolina? Oh, yeah, when I was like 11, but it was still there, yeah. you know, and so that was like my little thing and it would freak, you know, my friends out because it was like, oh, guess this one, Aaron, guess that one. And we used it a lot in bars because in L.A., everyone, no one was from L.A. Right. So all the actresses would be like Midwest or like, you know, maybe even up north. So I would say, oh, I'm, a, you know, watch this little party trick and I can get the number or what have you. But sometimes, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I paid attention to how people spoke. And that was just something I worked at. Um, and then when I would sit down to write, I could kind of channel that style. So I would say, okay, well, this guy's from Boston, and he grew up in Boston in the 90s. Uh, what was happening in Boston in the 90s? So I would kind of think. And then I would say, oh, okay, I know someone who grew up in Boston in the 90s. And then I would say, how did he speak? So I would try to emulate a little bit of that in the writing. And then the, each place has certain slang. So Philly has its own slang. Um, for those who saw the movie Creed, um, mm -hmm. you know, they keep, they keep saying um, the John yeah, all the time. Well, that's a legit Philly thing. I didn't know what people were talking about, but you could use John for anything. It's a noun. So I would say, go get that John over there. I don't know what you're talking about, but people in Philly would know. Right. Um, if you ordered a cheesesteak, you don't say with, you said wit. So wit cheese or without. That's how you say it with the whiz or without so it's just the rhythm you have to kind of pay attention to it as as if it was a song and then you kind of learn it so and then when i'm writing dialogue i try to remember that song um and then it kind of comes out that is very very interesting that yeah, is very no. interesting yeah it's what a real writer sounds like <laughs> <laughs> now now aaron um i think one of the hardest things to do is really take what is so fantastic about crime novels and noir and put it on screen. Cause I think yeah. you need to be really, you have to have an inept touch to do it well. So my question is, in your opinion, what movie does that the best? Oh, wow, man. Jeez. Okay. I wasn't going to make this <laughs> easy for you. What movie does that the best? That's hard to say. I can give you, I'll start with top three. Okay, yeah, yeah that's Boom. fine. There we go. I got to start there. Um, Chinatown, mm. okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Polanski. is right up there. Um, the film adaptation of Devil in a Blue Dress, 
uh, mm-hmm. directed by Carl Franklin, uh, would be next. And the reason I I, I would say that is because um, he captured the book so well, um, mm-hmm. and he captured that character, and it's a beautiful ending. And I think that's what noir really is. In the midst of all this darkness, you gotta have that that light at the end of those films. So even though Chinatown is dismal, a dismal ending, um, you still have Jake who's whole, he's not dead, <laughs> and he figured it out. It was crappy, it sucked, but his mission was complete, and he walks away. It's a very cynical ending, but he walks away from it like, you know what, what can you do? Yeah. Is it Pete right. Dunaway in that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and th- those yep. arms, yeah. John Ford, John Houston. Houston. Houston, and he's just yeah. creeping just, around. Oh. Just right there, <laughs> you know, the and it, ge- it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, it gives you real chills. Um, you know, with Devil in a Blue Dress, you have Easy, who, f- who once he solved everything, he's sitting on the porch with his friend, and his friend asks him, uh, I think Lydell, I think, um, or Odell, asks him, you know, uh, or Easy asks his friend, essentially, if you have a friend who does bad things and you still keep him as a friend, do you think that's wrong? And Easy's talking about his best friend, Mouse, who was a killer. I mean, but always had his back. But Mouse kills people. That's what he does. Um, and essentially, uh, Odell answers him and he says, well, all you got is your friends. And that's simple. You know, very simple, beautiful ending, though, because then Easy starts walking down the street and he observes this South Central neighborhood and just the beauty of it as these kids are playing on the sidewalk. Um, and so I think a good ad- adaptation captures all of that you know, that's in that book. And you can do it. If it's a good director, he can put it in that, or he or she can really fit it into, into the screen. Um, the third one, ah, oh, this is tricky. Here it comes. I need a little modern noir. I should put it in there. <laughs> um, ah, geez. I'm trying, just trying to think of the last noir that kind of blew me away. Um, hmm. You ever seen the film Brick? Yes. Oh, thank you. That's is it. That's where I was headed. No. no yes, yeah. that is where I was. At. No Ryan shit. Johnson, who gave us the last Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, delivers. Okay. I loved Brick. I'm so glad that you think that. Yeah. I thought it was so well done, and he, again, the last scene. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Where with the big reveal, you know, and it's just like, what does she say? I think Laura tells him. She says something like, have you kind of known all along that it was potentially your, your baby? And he doesn't answer, you know, and he just kind of walks walks yeah. away. Yeah, you man. know what I mean? That's noir. It's where you have these these characters who you can't, you don't know what they're thinking, but you roll with them because yep. you trust them, you yeah. know, or the scene where he kicks the gun back into the room. <laughs> Brilliant. You yeah. know what I mean? Because he has no dog in that fight. He doesn't like either one of them. And his moral core. Uh, code is basically saying like both of them deserve to die but hey here's a fighting chance it's 50 50 (laughs) you know what i mean like you shoot it out you know brilliant yeah you know yeah that's crazy yeah yeah i i really like brick i really oh yeah i I would say that i almost think that there's not enough good noir currently being made i agree with that yeah um because i and it's a, I think it's a hard genre to pull off, like you mentioned, and I think maybe that's why sh- filmmakers or studios shy away from it. Yeah. Um, what I got? Oh, sorry, Brian. Uh, well, I was just gonna say, I think we're starting to see a little bit of uh, revival there with um, just a lot of really good filmmakers going to streaming. Mm. So you know, Netflix. Mm. I think Black Mirror is a pretty good yeah. example of, um, you know, a genre that makes people uncomfortable. But, and you know, isn't necessarily the most popular thing uh, that's been out there recently. But like people clamor for it and demand mm-hmm. for it, yeah. and you either love it or you hate um, it. But it's you know just something that Chadwick Boseman did a uh, message from the team. Oh, excellent! Yeah, which excellent. Yeah. straight to streaming. Yeah, um, great movie. And I yeah I think I think you are right with uh, with streaming being able to um, produce what is basically essentially major motion pictures, then Mm -hmm. I I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this new series that's out right now called, uh, I think it's called like end of the fucking world or something like that. That's just getting a lot of talk and that's a very dark kind of comedy as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think with the freedoms that filmmakers and, you know, TV runners um, have now with those Mm -hmm. types of services, I think we're going to see 
a lot of just you know like really creative <clears throat> things that we haven't seen before with yeah. studios just jamming you know what they want down our yeah. throat it's taken 60 years to come back yeah so. yeah and i also think that um you know the movies have to prove to be viable and i think that's the key in order for us because really to me noir belongs on the screen i mean we need to see the lighting we need to see the mood we need to see those shadows i love to see noir on the big screen so when i saw blade runner what 2049 mm-hmm. yeah oh i loved it I mean, it blew me away because I was like, this is what I've been longing for. It was a little bit, it dragged a little bit. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and say it. But in terms of the the story, classic noir. Mood, yeah. setting, you know, everything. Classic. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, Music. So before yeah. we wrap this interview up, Aaron, what is in the future for Aaron Phillips? <laughs> what projects well, you got on the line? What's going on? I'm happy to say so. All all three of my books, um, the first two, uh, the Science of Paul, which is a part of the Paul Little canon, and then um, a Healthy Fear of Man, um, will be republished with Shotgun Honey Books, um, which actually merged with Down and Out Books, so it's become a much even a bigger publishing company. Um, so I'm very happy that that deal went through. And then also um, my newest novel, The Furious Way, uh, will be published with Shotgun Honey Books um, as well. And what I'm working on now is an LAPD novel uh, based on some of my experiences uh, with LAPD, um, which the way I envision it, I believe will be hopefully <laughs> the best book that I ever put out um because it's very much uh capturing what's happening right now in terms of law enforcement um and it's centered with a murder that takes place in the police academy so it's Mm. a recruit who actually is murdered and it pulls on all these issues of training and what happens behind those closed doors which i haven't really read novels that are set um in the police academy um their scenes uh gar anthony haywood in one of his books does a great job um uh setting a scene in the police academy that ultimately his, his protagonist gets kicked out of the police force because he intervenes when um an instructor is kind of going hard on a female uh recruit uh, but i haven't seen a, a, a movie or haven't read a book where it's entirely set really in the police academy yeah not police academy Please tell me two crime, <laughs> or, <please tell> me <laughs> or three, or four, or well, five, or six. If you want to find out um, <clears throat> any more information on author Aaron Philip Clark, you're gonna want to head over to AaronPhilipClark.com. You have all the updated information on published dates, what's coming out, what to look forward to, um, and where you can actually pick up all of his novels. Yep. Now you bring up the LAPD, um, which because of where it is, has always been uh, involved in, you know. A few different celebrity conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a subject I want to touch about because I think one of the most ridiculous conspiracy theories that I just laugh at every time I've heard it this week going around is that, um, you know, Kim and Kanye West, they, nope. they had a child. <laughs> and they had it by a surrogate because uh, I don't think Kim um, medically was clear she to has be a life-threatening She has condition. a life-threatening condition. Um, what? Yeah, that's, that's the claim. That's that's the story is that she had a life threatening condition and then her being pregnant for a third time, the pregnancy could kill her, um, which I'm not saying is that's probably 100 percent true because apparently uh, the the death rate um, by of pregnancies in the United States she is abnormally high. Uh, <laughs> You're telling me that woman's <laughs> hips can't I mean, shoot out a fucking baby. Let's think about this. Yeah. <laughs> so so they, so it was announced. A couple months ago that they were going to be having a third child by surrogate, um, which I just thought they were doing because Cristiano Ronaldo did. And, you know, yeah. Kanye just wants to be on um, what's hip oh, and what's did cool. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. And rumor twins. has it that oh, who, wow. is the, who is the so, carrier? Um, you know, they you know it was the surrogate was this woman from San Diego. It's all fine yeah. and dandy. So, okay, cool. They had a baby. Well, it only took 24 hours for the internet to get going that um, there was no surrogate. That the kid is not Kim and Kanye's, but it's actually Kylie's kid, and that um, they're just secretly been pregnant. Well, that's been like going back and forth for the past few months. Is Kylie pregnant or is she not? Which which, (laughs) and there's been no confirmation or real denial about Kylie. Just some holiday weight. Yeah, I mean, give the girl a break. (laughs) But I mean, I guess 
I don't know what the conspiracy would really be. I mean, if she is, if she was pregnant and she had a child, I think the only real element of surprise there could be if it was the father was someone you would least expect or, you know. Well, the rumors have always Bruce Jenner. It's it's Travis (laughs) Scott. You know, like, which... I don't know. I mean, is it the age thing? Is that's what no, is but controversial? I don't know. Or? I don't know what it is, but that that's just the internet We're going crazy. Them way too much. Yeah, the, the internet is just saying that Kylie had a baby, which I don't, I, yeah. I don't know because they've only been yeah. saying she's been which for like five months. Which brings us to a segment which we call our favorite celebrity conspiracies. Yeah. This is not one of my favorites, but this is just the hot yeah, button yeah. conspiracy theory right now that they're just hiding pregnancies and trading yeah. kids back and forth. <laughs> so, <laughs> talking to a crime novelist, favorite. Favorite conspiracy you've ever heard? Oh, oh, I got Celebrity. one for you. Yeah, what is yep. it? So uh, I was in L.A. and I had gotten invited to this uh, party that was like uh, not the nice part of the Hollywood Hills, like the struggling part. <laughs> and it was like a few struggling hills. Yeah, it was oh, so the, that's the like, struggling that's hills. Like North Hollywood is that uh, kind of headed, headed towards <laughs> Silver Lake? Yeah, you know, it's like that that. Area where it's like, oh, you're an actor and you've been in like a few commercials, so you pay your bills. But, uh, no you know. one is going to check our coats at the front of this. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's the really yeah. nice grocery store, but there's also a crack den on the other side. Exactly. Okay. It, it's that kind of uh, situation. So What's that street? Um, Lakeview? Is that what that street yeah. is? A Whole Foods and a whole lot of crack on the on the same street. <laughs> and it, you know, so but I walk in with a couple of buddies. And we go into the kitchen and they have like chips and sauce and they're making tacos. I'm like, okay, this is not too bad. That's a nice spread. It was nice, right? So I take a seat. Someone gives me a beer. I'm enjoying myself. And these two guys walk in. One guy is rather tall. Um, He has a beanie on and incredibly quiet. Everyone else talking around him, but he's not saying anything. His buddy is doing the talking for him. Chris R. from the room. <laughs> you know? Keep going. Keep so going. it's like, and, it, and his buddy is like, you know, a fast talking kind of guy, you know, pupils dilated, might have been on something. He's all over the place. So somehow they come into the kitchen. They're kind of hovering around the table because that's where the chips are. And some, and I, I don't know how it happened, but we get on the conversation of his friend being a mute. So his friend apparently has not spoken. In like five years, okay, and the now is this physical or like mental? Like we like, don't. I, okay. I, I we were we unclear. Okay, that's, that's all you know. That's all you know. That's all I know. So it, me and my buddies, he's on mute. That's all you know. We just know this guy. He's not going to say anything because yeah. we kept thinking, well, maybe it's us. You know, is he not wanting to engage? Um, and so you know, the talkative friend is like, no, no, he's like this. You know, it's not personal. This is just how he is. He's been like this for five years. So a buddy of mine says, well, what happened? Then he says, well, my buddy liked to party quite a bit. He liked to go out. And one day he met this beautiful blonde at a party. Um, It was a house party. And at the time, he did not know she was underage. She invites him back to another house, which was empty. They go into the room. Things are happening. Clothes are coming off. All of a sudden... He says he looks out the window and there's a man standing there and it's David Carradine. What? This was his daughter. And he was knowingly like watching. He was watching. Wow. Freaks him out. Right. He says, oh, my God. She says, no, it's just my dad. Don't worry about it. He says, I, how can I not? Yeah. And she's like, and he says, your dad is David Carradine. This is insane. So he says, look, I got to get out of here. He grabs his clothes. He's booking it toward the front door, opens the front door. David Carradine is right there. He says Carradine stares at him intensely, takes him by the shoulder, whispers in his ear, and he never spoke after that. (laughs) Damn. And that's the story they told us. And the whole thing is that Carradine learned some freaking crazy shit while he was doing Legend for Kung Fu, and he was – apparently going back and forth to Asia and learn some kind of hoodoo voodoo that put this guy on mute for life. Wow. It's like that. Like that. Damn. Damn. Okay, you really brought the conspiracy theory. Hey. I only know it because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a 
a fun one that I always laugh at when I see or hear about because I feel like this is a celebrity that should not uh, deserve this amount of like time and energy that people put into this, but it's Avril Lavigne and oh. the conspiracy that like she committed suicide, whatever, 10 yeah. years ago or however long it was. And that is just, you know, like some uh, random person that is now playing the character of Avril Lavigne. And they oh, have wow. like all these pictures side by side of, you know, the differences in, just all of this nonsense. And to me, I just always laugh. I'm like, it's Avril Lavigne. Like, was she really killing it's, it that much that the studio guys were like, oh, no. Oh, we can't lose Avril. Yeah. We, no. we got to find a body double. What it, what it is is Skater uh, boy people don't understand what plastic surgery is and that once you have money, <laughs> you can fix things about your face you don't like. Right. Yeah. You can so, remove your stupid tattoo you got when you were yeah. 16 and drunk. Or you can shape your nose better. Like yeah. That's yeah. that's what that is because the whole the picture is – the jawline is different. The nose is different. It's called plastic surgery. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. exactly what it is. Exactly. Um, I mean my – not my favorite conspiracy, but one that has always intrigued me is the fact that the LAPD killed Biggie. Yeah, like, yeah. and it had t- it, it ties back to Rampart. That ties back to, I mean, it's either that or the fact that um, it's the conspiracy theory that uh, should Knight gave Eazy E AIDS HIV. Yeah, that one is a little bit. That was more on the. <sighs> that's a real thing. Yeah, because he got jumped when he was when. Uh, so if you go back and you watch, I mean, the the best storytelling of this version in film is straight out of Compton. And if you watch the scene where sh- where it's when Dre leaves, that okay. Easy didn't want to let Dre go, but Should wanted to start his own label, so Should jumped Easy until and beat him uh-huh. until he signed. And I think it was claimed it's Easy E's son, right? Yeah, that claims it. That when Easy was jumped by Should and these guys, that Should pricked him with an, uh, a positive HIV Damn. needle. But let's not forget, Should talked about this on television. But Should has talked about uh, Tupac is I mean, still alive. He, he paid a corner a million dollars. Should like, Should says a lot of crazy things. Yeah, but right. some of that stuff is, has got to be. That's what legit. I'm saying. Like, but that's it's why it's conspiracy be. theory for they, sure. Yeah. So that's what it, mine goes about. Like the hip hop conspiracy theories and that '90s hip hop, Wild Wild West is always you know who did what, who was mm. connected to what. Those always, I mean. I can go off on forever on those. Yeah. I mean, all those young, they were, and they were just like all musicians too. 24 and 25 yeah. and easy yeah. wasn't just even speaking 30. speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I have two that I like. One's recent and it's contextual. Uh, people think that uh, Tommy Wiseau, the creator of The Room, is D.B. Cooper. What? Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. That. That's what? I have not that's heard why that. He has no. All that money. But that's that is, why he that has is, all that money. That is yep. incredible. So that's where they think the money came from. Uh, he, he, you know what? I'm I'm rolling with that. I like that. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> if that's true, he's the greatest actor of all time. I mean, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's amazing. That yeah. But the best fantastic. you could do was the room. Yeah. <laughs> that's hey, it. how much Come money on. is that? That's, that's the, like the, play, the long con, Aaron. It's I the mean, long yeah, con. Yeah. That's dedication. Yeah, the heist, <laughs> like, the I'm gonna throw everyone off the scent, off the trail by making the room. Being the most public idiot of all time. Yeah. If you haven't looked up DB Cooper, look it up too. Yeah, yeah. So infamous, great. infamous heist uh, criminal. Uh, two, I think, I mean, it, it's longstanding. I don't think it will ever get solved, but uh, who killed Kurt Cobain? I, yeah. I think that that's... Courtney Love did it. Like, I that's think that exactly that's, who did it. I mean, that has been the rumor. That's not yeah. a conspiracy theory. What my gut's telling me... She did it. We've seen, yeah. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I know. We'll see if anything ever comes out from there. So. Um, well, the last... The last Part of this sits patch we got for you on episode two, season four, is the the question I want to propose to the group right now. Is this Google art and culture app racist? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm, I'm, the, you know what is racist? History. <laughs> so I think that's what this is a good reminder. I mean, that's, <laughs> and we cut the segment right there. Yeah, that is, yeah. That's why Google put it out to show you history a little racist. Because I just... If you don't know what it is, you can take a photo. It'll match it up to a famous painting, um, or a famous a a famous rendering that looks like it or looks like yeah, you. yeah. So so um, it's like you know all over social media, every celebrity is just like, oh, let me take a a makeupless selfie and see what painting I get matched up with. Uh, it, it's stupid. It's dumb. It'll probably go away in a week. Um, but 
it does make me laugh that like people are having just like such strong emotions with whatever they're matched with. It's like, yeah. this, this isn't Tinder, you know, like you're not <laughs> committed to anything. This is just like Google saying, okay, we read your face. We analyzed a bunch of paintings and here's what we got. 53%. Here yeah. you go. I think yeah. the, the best thing about it was, uh, one office they took all the asian co-workers they all like did it and they all got the same painting oh, didn't geez. matter what gender, oh, what they look like but that's why I'm like you're right brian you're right history is racist but you know google comes up with so much stuff and i think they just throw crap on a wall yeah and they see what sticks i mean i'm still wanting them to improve their uh what is it, the the auto car like they seem to struggle with that like i need them just to take what things that actually we need and fix those like i don't really need apps from google and you know i know it's just something to do yeah and i i look at it like okay well this is how google's still trying to connect or stay connected to um you know the younger generation the millennials and that's what it's all about we know why they're doing this right why? It's because they want a database of everyone's face on planet Earth. We'll see. There you go. That's exactly now, that's why they're the doing best it. conspiracy theory. They're building right a there. database and logging of every goddamn person that uses Because you know this. what? I've done this multiple times, probably like five or six times by now. And you agree to a lot of shit that yeah. I have not read once yet <laughs> exactly. before you take and the you know picture. And you know what they're going to do? Oh, really? All, all your, all your uh, Apple iPhone 10 face lots, yeah, they're all fucked because Google's going to break it. You know, imagine going, see, that's the museum I want to go into now. Is Instead of that original <laughs> painting, it's just all the shitty shitheads that <laughs> took like, like, the oh, photo. Yeah. It's like a thousand photos yeah. of just people like, that's hey, why, these are the renderings. These are the Google renderings of don't give this your actual don't give your DNA to people. It's Don't give your he- your mud shot to people. Well, DNA, bro. I mean, trust me. Like uh, these companies have it. Yeah, we're already <laughs> but done. just volunteer, already Dan. Done. Give it to no, done. I'm yeah. not volunteering. That's hey, saying if, shit. If they're paying me money, man, I'm doing it. I'm not. <laughs> we know. Well, you don't even get paid on this podcast, and we've done you to do shit. <laughs> hey, mustache challenge and rollerblading yeah. contest. <laughs> I better be getting paid for both. Uh, well, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us. It was fantastic having you oh, on. Thank yes. you for having me. Um, yep. Fantastic. Again, go check out AaronPhilipClark.com for all news, everywhere you want to find his his books, his upcoming novels, and his upcoming works. And keep up to date on everything Aaron Philip Clark. Thank That's you. That's AaronPhilipClark.com. If you miss us throughout the week, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter. Brian's at BON619. Brett is at DB Cooper. And I am at... <laughs> Paper Champion DP, or you can follow our show account at pop underscore not soda. Make sure that you have liked and followed us on Facebook so you can get all of our up-to-date episodes and postings. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at pop underscore not soda for live videos like when we did tonight. So if you were following us on Instagram, you got a preview of this episode live when we recorded. And until next time, as Brett says, we will see you on the flip side. Boom.